When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, welcome to another episode of Behind the Seams Prospects Corner. I'm Jared Perkins. I have an incredible guest with me here today, uh, Preston Farr with Royals Review. Uh, Preston, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Jared. I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Ready yeah. to talk about the Royals because they're so great. <laughs> well, I'm really excited to have you on talking about the Royals farm system. We have an incredible interview with a Royals prospect, Peyton Wilson. I'll come after this, but. Uh, Preston, I want to kick it off with the first question that I ask every guy, person that I have on for the intro. Uh, what's the overall state of the Royals farm system for you? Yeah, I mean, a lot's been made about it just being very really bad. I mean, they're ranked, I think, 29th. Only Houston ranks worse, according to MLB Pipeline. But a lot of that, I think, is just because of a lack of ceiling. They don't have any top 100 prospects. But the more you look at the system, it is pretty well-rounded, and it's a pretty deep system. They've got you know, a few pitchers that you're excited about. They've got a few guys from this year's draft, uh, from last year's draft that are really starting to show up as far as position players. So I think it's a deep system, but it's certainly not great. They've got some work to do. Yeah, that's kind of the sense that I've got. I cover the Royals for a little bit, and it's it's not the same when you had the the Mike Moustakas and the Eric Hosmers, and you had like six or seven guys in the top 100. It's a little right. bit far from those days. Um, but so... Speaking of arms, you talked about pitching a little bit and the excitement there. Uh, let's talk about the 2021 draft, right? They went a lot of prep side, upside arms with Mazzucato, Kudrina, Panzini, a few others. Um, what are your thoughts on some of those arms? I know those kind of aren't the ones that are super performing high, but um, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, they're not, you know, it's not like Chandler Champlain where, you know, they're dominating this year and you can see the path next year maybe, but I don't think it was ever really going to be that way. We're talking about prep guys versus yeah. you know, a college guy out of USC. So I think for where they're at in their pro careers, I'm not like worried. I'm not upset with it. I know Mazzucato struggled with the walks. Uh, I know Kudrin is getting, you know, a fair number of strikeouts, but maybe not as many as you'd like, but you know, a guy like Mazzucato, he just started throwing a slider. So you can see the development happening. Um, and Kudrin gets a ton of swinging strikes. So it's just the strikeouts are going to come over time. So I think for where they were drafted, they've they've done what you want to see. And I think yeah. they've done better than, you know, if you look back, 
guys like Ash Russell, who just really, you'd never really saw anything. And he had a lot of like off the field stuff, but you didn't really see the development and you see that with these guys. So they're not top 100 guys, but I think they could be next year in the middle of the year if they start next year and show off, you know, like the slider from Mazzucato or if Kuderna starts to tick the strikeouts up. The path is there for sure. Yeah. And that's kind of the, the, the route that they took in 21, 21 was a little high upside. And then in 2022, they went safer floor with some college guys like Gavin Cross and Caden Wallace. Um, one guy, Gavin Cross was top 100 before the season started, has had a lot of struggles this year. Um, strikeouts, swing and miss have really kind of hampered uh, his production um, at low A or sorry, at high A. Um, but what are your thoughts on Gavin Cross? I know MLB Pipeline, I think, bumped him down to number six. I think most ranking prospect rankings have top, taken him out of the top 100. Is he still a top 100 guy for you? Or do you kind of see Cross um, kind of going to be a little bit below that now? No, I'd, I'd agree. He's definitely below it. Um, he's had a very weird year. He's on the shelf now. It was like an illness, but he's been gone for a couple of weeks. So to be honest, I think they kind of just said, all right, well, let's just shut you down for the year and let you get right. Um, like you said, he struggled a lot with the strikeouts, but really from what I saw, like when I was watching him play, it, was, it wasn't swinging strikes. He wasn't swinging and missing. He was just letting them go by. Yeah. So I think it's a problem where he's just trying to be too selective and looking for the right pitches when there's maybe pitches he's letting go that he could do damage with. So for that reason, like it's not a swing and miss issue. It's more of just a a plate selection issue as far as picking his pitches. So I'm not super far out on him. I think it was right to drop him. And I think the fall from the top 100 made sense, but he's not a guy that it's way too early to like call him a bust. I think there's still a path to the major leagues and it could come quick. Once he figures that out, it could really flip a switch. He could move pretty quick. I think. Yeah, I mean, I remember talking about him last year, and a lot of people thought he could have been in on the quick rise to the big leagues because he had so much success when he first got into pro ball last year. But again, he was a college guy playing in low A, kind of beating up on low A arms that right, are still exactly, kind of developing. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I just see so many people giving up on him. And part of me is like, you got to give the guy a little bit of time. It was his first full season of pro ball. And not every prospect's development is linear. It's going to take exactly, time yeah. with these kind of things. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I, like I said, it's, I just think it's a quick fix with him. If you give him a good off season program, you know, to focus on, you know, the right pitches for him, I think he could really come out of the gate strong next year. Yeah, I agree. Um, speaking of that 2022 class, we talked about arms. A lot of those arms are having a lot of a good amount of success this year. You have guys like Mason Barnett who are throwing really well, Steven Zoback. Is there an arm from that class that you really love? Um, that's uh, really on your radar. Well, you mentioned Zobak. I like Zobak quite a bit, but I just need to see with him. I need to see him, you know, last over a full start. He kind of seems like a, you know, a reliever type until you see him last over two or three times through the order. Um, David Sandlin, he's out for the year. He's been out for like, I think maybe a month or so now, but Mm -hmm. he's really the guy. uh, I think when I did a comp for him, it was like Chris Paddock. He really reminded me of that mold of pitcher. He's got a really good fastball. He's got a good pitch of, um, sorry, good mix of pitches. And I think he's really the best of that class. But Mason Barnett, like you said, he's been really showing up, especially since he went up a level, which is kind of uh, rare to see. So yeah. I think really with all these guys compared to like 2018, 2019, it's just a new type of pitcher. These are guys with velocity. These are guys that can spin the ball. So I think it's going to be a different type of pitcher, and it'll be interesting if the Rose can continue that into the upper minors. 
and then translate it to the bigs like they couldn't do before. Yeah, the one guy I was kind of curious um, from this draft class, I saw him a few times when I was doing live looks for Prospects Live at Maryland, was Ryan Ramsey. Not a big velo guy, but kind of a four-pitch mix type guy who really commands the strike zone, pounds it. Uh, do you have any thoughts on Ryan Ramsey? I like him a lot. He started off really strong this year, yeah, and then he only made like two starts and then he got hurt. So he was a guy, when I put on my prospect guide, I didn't have him in the top 50, but he was like right there. I just need to see more <laughs> of him, you know. Um, but then he came back and he was really strong in low A, but it's it's the same thing like what you're saying. You know, it's a college pitcher beating up on these low A hitters. So yeah. We need to see him at the next level. Uh, and so far, I mean, he's done okay since he's moved up a bit, but we just need to see it over a longer time frame. So kind of wait and see on him, I think. Yeah. The only other guy, too, out of the class, I really liked what we saw from Hunter Patterson, mm-hmm. but then he got hurt again, and he's coming off Tommy John. So I think they're being careful with him. I never – could really find out. I never saw what the injury was, so it's a bit concerning. Yeah. And he made two or three starts and then hit the shelf. Yeah, because wasn't he in a complex league, too, for a little bit? Yeah, they had him there got... for quite a while, and then he made, I think, two starts for Columbia, and then he got injured yeah. again. Yeah, it's a fun class, though, to keep monitoring throughout the season. Um, but I want to move into the 2023 draft, the the draft that has caused probably lots of controversy on Royals Twitter <laughs> for many people. Um, I don't know if anybody was happy with it. No, there wasn't Nobody. a single person that seemed to be happy with the draft, which I, I get because I went high upside prep catcher that everybody knows the history of prep catchers. But yep. um, let's dive a little bit into the 2023 class. First off, what are your thoughts, of course, on Blake Mitchell, the the number one, or not the number one overall, but the Royals' first round pick? Yeah. Um, I mean, like you said, it was really risky, but I do think some of that prep catcher, you know, worry is a bit overblown. Yeah, there's a big track record and a big history of them not paying off, but recently, like in the last, you know, 10 years or so, they just haven't really been picked that early, so you don't have, yeah. a, you don't have a really a track record to speak of. But the guys that have been, like Harry Ford, He's a top prospect. Tyler Soderstrom, he was a top prospect, right? So I'm not really too worried about the the prep catcher side of it, but he did pretty poorly in the complex league. He walked a lot, but he didn't – there was no power. There was no hit tool. So some of that might just be because he's working on some things. He debuted earlier than some other prep hitters. Like Seattle, they picked Johnny Formello pretty early. He hasn't even debuted. So maybe that's part of it. The Royals were just having him work on some things. But you'd like to see more. Like, here's your first first overall pick, eighth overall, sorry. Yeah. And he didn't really do anything in the complex league, so I can get the word, you know. Yeah, and well, then you see across Twitter, all the success Kyle Teal, Matt Shaw, all these college hitters, of course, yep. are having at the lower levels. And you, you But that was, that was always going to happen, though, too, because you're yeah. talking about a prep guy versus a college guy. So it's <laughs> yeah. going to take at least three years until you even know what he is. So you're going to have to hear about this for yeah, the foreseeable future. It's like you got to think about like Kyle Teal's been seeing ninety plus in the ACC almost every single weekend that he's playing. Yeah. So like, of course he's going to be used to that pitching as soon as he gets into low A and then gets called. Everybody's like, oh, he's moving up to high. A. Like, of course he is. <laughs> yeah, he probably should have started there. Like, yeah, that's he probably just should have never goes. been in low A for the first exactly. place of the Red Sox. Um, the other guy I want to talk about too from that twenty twenty three class is uh, Blake Walters. So that's the guy I'm probably excited about. The, the Bobby Miller comps had me excited. The fastball is just electric. Um, Two pitch pitcher right now, but has the upside of really developing a third pitch. Um, what are your thoughts on Walters? Yeah, I'm super excited for him. I think him and Hero Wyatt, same thing. They won't yeah. debut till next season if they follow that same track that Mazzucato and Kuderna did. But both of them have high velo. Both of them spin the ball really well. So. 
I think their guys, they'll really hit the ground running, and I think we'll see good things from the start. Um, but it's same thing as those guys in 2021. You just got to wait and see. It's not going to be two years or three years. We're talking four or five. Yeah. And lastly, I want to talk about the class, too, is the college hitters. Um, we talk about college hitters having success at the lower levels. Um, they took guys like Spencer Nivens, uh, Carson Roccaforte, Trevor Werner, all these college bats who are really off to a pretty good start. Oh, and Jared Dickey, too, is the fourth one I was uh, thinking of that I couldn't remember. Um, talk about these bats. To me, the one thing that really stuck out is – they really followed batted ball data when they looked at a lot of these hitters. That's something I don't think the Royals have quite done in the past, but it's definitely all new. these, yeah, all these guys had great underlying data, batted ball data in college. So talk about these four guys or just the other hitters that they've taken to throughout that class. Yeah. I mean, they're college hitters and they're playing in low A, So you have to take yeah. a lot of the, the box score with a grain of salt, but they're not swinging and missing. Uh, I think the average in the minor leagues this year is like an 18% swing strike rate, and they're all like 10% or lower right now. So uh, Dickey's, you know, he's doing well. Trevor Warner's like second in the entire draft class in home runs. Yeah. In the entire MLB. And then Rockaford, I think, is my favorite of the bunch just because like, he has all the tools. He's got speed. Yeah. He's got defense. He's got, you know, the hit tool. He can walk. He's walking more than he's striking out. So I think they really hit on the pitcher or on the hitter so far, but – Again, low A, right? We need to see mm -hmm. them do that at the higher level. So I think some of that you have to kind of brace yourself. Is there going to be a Gavin Cross start like next year where, where a couple of these guys struggle? But uh, like I said, I think Rockefeller's my favorite of the bunch. I think he can be a quick mover. And the Royals need that five-tool center fielder potential, and that's really what he is. So yeah. uh, him and Werner have been really strong so far, and they're all getting on base at a really good pace. So it's nice to see. Yeah, and I know fans weren't happy with the first two picks being high upside prep guys, but I really think the way that the Royals rounded out the 2023 draft really made up for any upside risk that they took in the first two rounds. Yeah, and they needed the risk. Like mm -hmm. a lot of people will say, "Well, the farm system bad, so why did you why didn't you play it safe?" They played it safe in 2022, and that's why the farm system's bad, right? They yeah. need that upside ceiling. Uh, and that's what they got. It might not pan out, but at least they're shooting for it. And that's what they need. Yeah. I mean, what they needed was like Gavin Cross to hit the ground running right this year. And he would have mm -hmm. stuck in the top 100 or rows. Same with Caden Wallace. Caden Wallace is kind of probably like on the back end of the, the top. He's a guy who could potentially crack it, but he's more of a floor yeah. guy than a ceiling guy. Exactly. He's not. I don't think he's a, a 30 home run guy. I don't, yeah. I don't think he's a 300 hitter, but he's going to be, you know, an above average hitter that gives you a solid floor, plays good defense. And you yeah. need that. Yeah. I think I think a lot of the farm system is those types of guys. You don't have a superstar, but you have a lot of guys that you feel like, yeah, they could be a good good major leaguer. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, so going kind of into the last thing that I always ask uh, people when they come on, uh, if you can pick two under-the-radar prospects that people aren't paying attention enough, enough to, uh, one on the pitching side and one on the hitting side. Yeah, on the hitting side, I don't know how long, how much longer I can give the answer Javier Baz. I think he's getting a lot more attention as the year goes on, but he he just doesn't swing and strike. He doesn't swing and miss in the zone. There's no yeah. swing and strike in his game. So he's not, again, he's not a high power guy, but he's got great speed. He's got a good hit tool. He makes good decisions with the swings. So he could play second base. He could play left field. He's played some center field. There's a lot of versatility. It's kind of like, you know, the same type of players like a Tommy Edmond. 
Yeah. So not a superstar, but he's going to be a really solid major leaguer and probably above average. So I really like what he's done, even in double A, since he's moved up, he's gotten better than he was at high A. And he's hitting for more power. I did a, I talked with him earlier this year. I did an interview with him and that was kind of what he talked about. He wants to actually sacrifice some of that hmm. strikeout rate and swing a miss to get more of that power. So he's done it so far on a small sample of double A. So I think if he can do that, then the ceiling's just going to rise from there. Yeah, I think with him, it's interesting because I see a lot of Stephen Kwan comparisons, but he's like a 30 plus bags guy. Like, so yeah. that's not what Stephen Kwan's doing. So no way. I yeah. think there's a lot higher ceiling there with Javier Vaz and there is Stephen Kwan just because, again, if he's going to sacrifice, like you said, to get into that power, maybe hit double digit bombs, even if he hits 10, if you get 1030 out of that guy, I mean, yeah. that's real good. Yeah. And he's a good guy. You know, you put him at the top of your lineups at the table every day. That'd be that'd be a good addition. Yeah. As far uh, as as far as like pitchers, um, probably I think the guy I go to first is like Tyson Guerrero. Yeah, I he see was guy, about him all the time. <laughs> yeah, he was a guy out of Washington. He had a really really bad debut, and he's kind of just been bad in the minor leagues. Not great up until this year. Something clicked, uh, and I think what the Royals are doing with you know throwing in the strike zone and letting your pitches work for you, I think that's really helped him a lot. So he's a guy. He's had like. If you look at like strikeout minus walk rate, he's been among the very best in the minors this year at times. And he's had a couple of blow up starts, you know, like I think his last start, he gave up six earned runs, but a lot of it was the defense. Yeah. So he's not an ace. I don't even know if he's a mid rotation starter, but he's a guy that wasn't really on the map before the season. And now he could pitch in the major leagues next year. So I really like what he's shown and the Royals need pitchers. I don't even know if they have five starting pitchers next year. So. Yeah, I got Cole Reagans, I guess. <laughs> yeah, they have at least one, maybe two. Yeah. You know, Brady Singer <laughs> depends on the day, I guess. But Yeah. Um, well, before we turn over to that interview with Peyton Wilson, just want to get your thoughts on the guy that, we're, that we have the interview for, Peyton Wilson. He's one of the guys that I think that was probably one of the safer floor picks uh, from that 2021 draft. Uh, but would you have any thoughts on him before we turn over that interview? Yeah, I, I started this year. I had Peyton Wilson in my top five. I'm a big Peyton Wilson yeah. believer. Um, I will say a lot of that was anchored on the power that he showed the end last year. He showed more power output and he was playing center field every day at the end of last year. He started this year, hasn't played center field at all. Mm. And the power has been really up and down. He's got a good month followed up by, you know, a not so good month. It's just not consistent. So the speed is going to carry him and he makes, you know, good hit decisions. So he's got a good hit tool. But if if you can't show consistent power and if you can't figure out the glove, then you know I I don't really know what he is quite yet. Yeah. But I really like the player, and as far as the glove, like he'll make the flashy plays, but then he struggles with you know the everyday plays. So it's maybe he's just doing too much, and they can work on that. But I think he's still you know a top ten, top fifteen guy in the system. It just depends you know what version of Peyton Wilson can we rely on? Can he give you fifteen twenty homers, or is he going to be a five to ten homer guy? Yeah. Yeah, well, Preston, this has been an incredible intro to the interview. Um, just before we go over to that interview, where can everybody find you and all the awesome work that you're doing? Yeah, no, I'm I'm happy that uh, you had me on. Uh, just follow me uh, at Royals Miners on Twitter, um, or I, I do some stuff on Patreon. Just look for me, Royals Miner Leagues on Patreon. Make sure you all subscribe to that Patreon and check out his work. Uh, but without further ado, we're going to turn it over to that interview with Peyton Wilson. All right, welcome to another episode of Beyond Baseball, powered by Prospects Live. As always, I'm your host, Jared Perkins. Uh, we have another incredible guest here with us today, uh, Peyton Wilson with the Kansas City Royals. Uh, Peyton, how are you doing today? I'm great. I'm great. 
thanks for having me on. Yeah, I appreciate you taking some time to join. Uh, your journey is awesome uh, to, uh, where you got today. You're coming off one of the best seasons that you've had in your minor league career so far. Uh, but guys, for the viewers who don't know you, just give a little background on who you are, kind of how you got to where you are today, um, and just some things you love to do outside the game as well. Yeah, so I'm from Birmingham, Alabama, right at a little suburb of Hoover, right outside. Um, kind of grew up. Baseball is kind of sports are big in my household. My dad played professional baseball. My mom was a cheerleader at Alabama. My oldest brother, John Parker, played at football at Alabama and then played in the NFL. And my middle brother, Ross, played baseball at Alabama as well and professional baseball. So, you know, my life kind of just circled around sports. I, you know, I went to my sister's cheerleading competitions as well, not just yeah. baseball, football, and everything. So, you know, just household growing up. My vacations were going to play baseball or football or watch my brothers or sister do the same. So, you know, that's just kind of how I grew up, kind of what I was doing. Grew up a big Alabama fan. Was lucky enough to end up going there for two years. So the dream come true for me to play baseball at Alabama. It's something I always wanted to do. Yeah. And it's just it's been great from there. Got drafted by the Royals after my sophomore year of college. So I was lucky to get selected by them such a great organization just it's just about where i'm at right now yeah that's awesome uh talk about being able to play for alabama right being from alabama getting that experience to go play and then when you play in an sec school the atmosphere is just always different no matter if you're in one of the three major sports uh, but talk yeah. about your experience there and what it was like to play so going to alabama was always my dream come true both my parents are from tuscaloosa mm. my mom my mom's a cheerleader alabama my both my brothers, my sister went to Alabama, um, but all their spouses went to Alabama. My All my friends went to Alabama. I grew up, Tuscaloosa is 45 minutes away from where I grew up. So, you know, my a lot of my Saturdays were spent fall watching football games. And I still am I'm a big ass Alabama fan. You'll see. I love, I love just everything about it, you know. It was just a dream come true. And then just to get the experience to play in the SEC, play the best competition in the country for college baseball every weekend just makes it that much better makes it harder on yourself and you learn a lot and those i was i mean i was only there for two years i mean i wish i could have been there longer in one way but i'm glad it worked out another way as well so you know I have nothing but good things to say about Alabama is what I'm getting at, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that the SEC atmosphere is just completely different. I worked baseball operations at the University of Nevada, Reno, and we traveled to Arkansas one year. And it was just like watching the, the amount of fans that Nevada would get when they sold out. It was pouring rain. And I think they had the same amount of fans like a Nevada sellout game would have at a pouring rain that, game. It's just insane. That was my, that, Arkansas was my first SEC series. Yeah. And it was so, it was packed out. And I think that year we had like six or seven of our starting nine. It was their first SEC game. So it was, uh, we won 16 to one though. So I guess yeah, we got a off a good start. <laughs> yeah. 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 It was crazy though. It was crazy. That's awesome. I guess the, the kind of question I dive into now, the experiences that you had at, S, at the SEC school at Alabama, being on that big stage, um, how's that kind of helped prepare you as you made that transition to professional baseball? You know, it helps a lot. You know, a lot of people say, I mean, and not a lot of people, it's probably a fact that the SEC is the best competition mm -hmm. in college baseball, you know. So you're facing MLB draft guys every 
every position, every Friday, Saturday, Sunday, every week. So, you know, it prepares you a lot in the baseball aspect. But just as far as, you know, you travel a long way in the minor league, minor league you travel as well pretty good distance. So, and then um, just the crowds and the atmosphere. I mean, like you said, talking about Arkansas, I can think Arkansas. I went to LSU as well. It's pretty crazy as well. Just multiple places that, you know, some minor league stadiums don't even compare to yeah. most most SEC yeah. games. So, you know, in that aspect, just kind of controlling what you can control on the field. You know, people will be saying stuff that you don't want to hear sometimes. Just kind of get let it go in one ear, out the other, and things like that. So it really prepares you in different different ways for a lot of different things. Yeah, I think that's a lot of things that guys go through, especially when they make that transition to professional baseball. It's like you hear a lot of the outside external noise, but like you got to focus on what you can control, like you mentioned, what's in front of you, uh, because there's always going to be external noises just coming in, trying to kind of pull you one direction versus the other. So it's awesome to see that you got that experience really help you with that transition as well. Yeah. Um, the other question I have, too, is you got to experience the, the Field of Dreams game. So it's kind of take us into yeah. that. And how that so, was, that's almost probably like a big league experience as well, just because the crowds are big and you're just having this awesome, really cool opportunity, like a childhood movie probably that you loved growing up. Yeah, that was definitely a once in a lifetime opportunity for sure. And like you, you said it perfectly, they treated us like we were big leaguers, honestly. Yeah. Like we had a full setup. We, I mean, we we're in the same, I think the Cubs and the Reds played a couple of days after us and we had the same exact setup they had. So that's it was cool. awesome. They, they had like we had like portable locker rooms almost so it was like kind of in a tent but it was really cool like how was everything was set up and then like it was sold out i think there was like eight nine thousand people there and which at a minor league game that's that's a lot yeah that's huge and then yeah it was big but i mean it was so much fun just such a great experience so me and all my teammates got to experience and i guess we were just lucky enough to be there you know just i mean not everybody's gonna be able to say they play the game at the field dream stadium so yeah. it was really really cool i was really That's fortunate awesome. and yeah it was awesome once in yeah. a lifetime for sure yeah now as you kind of take all those experiences kind of headed into the off season and now we're kicking off another season here uh, what are some of your goals this year i know you've had the opportunity to kind of play in some of the big league games in spring training this year and get that opportunity just kind of get a little bit of a taste of what it might like be like um so kind of what are some of your goals and uh how is this spring training really helped you kind of develop yeah well i mean i would say the obvious goal for every minor leaguer is just to make their way to the major leagues i mean that's kind of point blank obvious i would say but you know for me, it's just this year, especially just like controlling what I can control on the field, you know, not be so worried about um, like result oriented and yeah. just kind of control my process and what I'm doing. And, you know, if I don't get a hit, just not let it like be the end, but like just work. I, I, I have a more better understanding of what I need to do and what I need to work on this year opposed to last year. So. It's a lot easier going in knowing what you need to do and get it instead of just kind of learn it on the fly. So my goal is just to like, just go out there and play, do what I need to do and compete as hard as I can, play as hard as I can, and then just let the results take care of themselves. Yeah, it's kind of getting that separation from your performances, right? You're always going to have good yeah. performances. You're always going to have bad performances, no matter how good you are at the game in general. Um, and so I think that's kind of diving into a lot of the mental side and the mental performance mm -hmm. and things like that and really developing that. So it's cool that you're develop, pushing that approach coming into this next season. Yeah, it was my first, like, you know, like my stats, my first month of pro ball last year wasn't the greatest, you know, that was kind of, what I was going through is just worry about 
things that I can't control, like getting hits and stuff like that, and just kind of spiraled. So, you know, this year I, I learned from that, and I'm just looking forward to taking that from what I learned last year and taking it into this year and making it a full season, you know. I don't really, you can't really, I mean, you can set goals for stats yeah. and stuff like that, but, you know, those are, those are, I, I try to set them very high so I have something to reach for. And then, you know, you just got to make sure that you're doing what you can to get to those goals, like preparing every day for the game, staying healthy and everything like that. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so kind of as I dive into the last few questions, I always end with a fun one and then a kind of a more serious one. Um, what que- the question I was asking, guys, this offseason, uh, what, when, when you were home in Alabama, like what's the go-to restaurant uh, that you have to go to every time? Oh, I don't know. You know, <laughs> if you go to like Tuscaloosa, which I spend a good amount of my time, like there, everybody says go to Dreamland Barbecue. It's kind of mm-hmm. famous down there. It's kind of the restaurant to go to and stuff like that. But, you know, back home, I can't really put my head. I live in like a suburb, you know, we got like <laughs> not like a yeah. staple place to go to, I guess. But like down college towns you can find multiple places to go to there it's just famous for that town i guess yeah I, three or four probably when i was at the university of Adarino, it was the same way like they, there's yeah. always those staple places and then when i go home i'm like nah i want to go back yeah. to those restaurants <laughs> yeah i don't have too much i would say not yeah. just your regular old mill restaurants <laughs> yeah the last question I always kind of dive into. So we started the podcast, really want to show the human side of the game, but we also want it to be like a, an opportunity for future players to learn from guys who have been there and done, uh, made it through the professional journey. So if you had like one piece of advice for a kid coming up from high school, coming through college or on the same kind of path you were on, uh, what would that one piece of advice be? I mean, for me, I just, it's always about just your work ethic and how hard to work and things like that. And I know a lot of people say just work hard and everything will work out. And that's true to an extent, I would say, but you know, it's, you, you gotta get lucky in this, at this yeah. sport, you know, you got something, something's gotta go your way, ball's gonna roll your way every once in a while, but what you can do to prepare to where you get to that stage where the ball does roll your way and you get your opportunity, you need to be prepared for that. So that's only one way you can do that is working hard and, going about your business every day. I mean, we play every day. So you got to go every day, play 100%, stretch 100%, work out 100%. You know, you just got to make sure you're doing what you need to do to be prepared to play 140, 160 games every year. So, I mean, like, just working hard. I mean, that's – I know it's a cliche answer, but it's it's true. You know, you can't – there's not a lot of people in this world that can go out there and just roll out there and be the best player on the field. You know, some people got it like that, but other people, yeah, you gotta, you gotta grind for it and make sure you're going up there every day with a good attitude, playing hard, working hard and doing everything you can to, when you get your opportunity to be ready for it. Yeah. I mean, that's even good at like life advice too, because if you don't go prepared to meetings, if you're in a regular job, like you're just yeah. not going to succeed in what you're doing. So I think that's a perfect way. Uh, to kind of add things. And Payne, we can't thank you enough for joining us. Uh, we're looking forward to watching you this season and wishing you nothing but the best this 2023. Awesome. Thank you so much. Appreciate having me on.